blat gemara mitzvah shabbos parshas neyach. Today's blat is daflamet tes amad aleph. We're up to the two dots, three lines on the top of the page, and we're dis- discussing the distance that a person may walk on shabbos and on yomtiv, chum shabbos. And if you want to extend, now we're talking about yomtiv because we're carrying. If you want to extend beyond the chum. And the question is different objects, different items. Whose tchum do you work with? You work with the original owners or the borrower and so on. So the last case we had was where a woman was making uh, bread, challah, and um, and she borrowed spices for cooked food or she borrowed water and salt for the dough. And the question is whose tchum do you follow? And uh, the Mishnah says that because the water and the dough belong to, uh, sorry, the water and the salt belong to one person, and, uh, and the dough and the flour belongs to another person. So they, only with their tchumim overlap, may you walk on yamtiv. So if one person extended the tchum to the east and the other person extended the tchum to the west, we cut off, you know, and just wherever they both are permitted to walk, where they overlap. Ariuda says, when it comes to water, water is so insignificant, we ignore the owner of the water and we just look at the owner of the dough. Says the Gemara, three lines on top. Rabbi Yehuda points the mind. When it comes to water, Rabbi Yehuda says we ignore the owner of the water. We just focus on the dough. Says the Gemara, in it seems when it comes to water, he says you ignore the owner of the water. But melachloi, when it comes to salt, we don't ignore the order of the owner of the salt. That's what Amishna says. And our question is four lines on the top of the Flama Tesavot. didn't we learn? Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda said that not only when it comes to the dough and we wonder, we wonder how do we calculate the tchum, we, um, we ignore the water, but melech, ma'im umelo betelin, ignore the salt as well. Because the salt okay, is so insignificant. Can I ask you a question? What, what, before we're discussing borrowing kalim or something, that's different. You've got to return it here. You're not returning the water or the, or the tavlin. You're returning something similar. You're not returning the same thing. True, but there's ownership here. When this person well, lent you on Yomtev, they didn't lend you. They actually you haven't lent you. They've given it to you because they're not going to get it back. It doesn't matter, but you owe them. So they, they're still considered the owner. That's what we're saying here. They're still considered the owner. And um, that's my question. Why? We just had it yesterday. Abaye said the reason why is because we're worried about Isa Shutfin. And, and, and um, the reason why we say that it's not bottle is because people, it looks like a partnership, and people will then think that. Any partnership, the it, you know it, it goes according to whoever wants to, not the not the shared overlap. That's why. And according to Robert, the reason is because spices never become bottled; they are very significant. And even though tomorrow you're going to reimburse them for something else, but who owns these spices right now? The original owner. And Abashi said, because the, you can eat it the way you, you can wait till tomorrow, and there's no problem of tchum or. Um, or you can eat the whole thing right now without walking at all. So getting back here, Rabbi Huda says the water is insignificant, but the salt is. And therefore we say that if the salt is there, then we, we, we look with the overlap. Yet in the Bryce, it clearly says that not only the water is insignificant, the salt is also significant. And he says, baby isa, baby data. Whether we're talking about dough, whether we're talking about a cooked food, in both cases, the fact that somebody lent you water or salt, they know it doesn't matter. Like my like kasha, there's two kinds of salt. Here we are talking about Melach's Damis. If you remember the Gmarachulan, we learned about that you have to wash Maimachrainim before benching because you might have some salt left over and between your fingernails, and it's very dangerous. Ben, can you can you mute yourself, please, Ben? And um, can someone tell Ben where we're up to? You won't have to ask. Anybody? Does anybody know where we're up to? Uh, long tell someone about. No, no, it's art scroll. 39A1 on the right-hand column. Just before the Mishnah. Okay, so we're saying there's two kinds of salt. There's Melach's Demis and Hobbit Melach's Drakis. Melach's Demis is very, very fine salt. And it gets stuck between your fingernails, and it's very dangerous if it touches your eyes. So you have to wash your hands. So that kind of salt is what the Bryce is talking about and disappears. But when our Mishnah, when we say that only water we ignore, but not salt, is talking about melachistrakis, like kosher, like sea salt, kosher sea salt, which is kosher salt, which is much larger. 
and therefore it's noticeable. Says the Gemara, but Tanya, we learned in another place, Rabbi Ramir says, Mayim umelach betelin beisa. He says there, when it comes to dough, the water, the salt become nullified, you know, they get absorbed, it's not seen anymore, and therefore it doesn't matter. And we're talking about over here, fine salt. But the ain't big daily, big data. But it says over there, when it comes to cooked food, they do not, the water does not, is, um, is not ignored at all. They play right for because you can see it in the gravy. So therefore, it seems over there, that in our mission, it makes no distinction between whether it's dough, whether it's a cooked item, in all instances, the water we ignore. And therefore, you just follow the owner of the dough regarding the tchum. And yet, in this brice, it clearly says that when it comes to cooked food, we don't ignore the water because we can see it. It's visible. There's the gravy. And therefore, you only could take it at tchum when they both overlap. It's not a problem. It depends what we're talking about. If we are, are talking about over there that we're, the, the, the food item is very, very thick, so everything got absorbed. There's very little liquid there then the water is not noticeable, not visible, and therefore we ignore the owner of the water, we just look at the food. But our mission is talking about, um, that's our mission, is Bryce is talking about where the water is noticeable, where the food is not, it's, it's a lot of liquid there, and therefore because the water is visible, you cannot ignore it, and you can only take it to the tchum where they both overlap, the food itself and the owner of the water. So the mission continues. Is this talking a practical halacha for us? Like, is, is there, if there's with regards to someone makes something from with spices from the neighbor or whatever, there's any practical implication now? Only if you're going to take this is all to do only it's limited only to tchum, tchum which means you're going to walk outside of your of your city environs and you want to extend it further than that. So I mean, how often do you ever you know extend your tchum if ever? Not really, but just practically speaking, that's the practical difference only in that respect. So for example, and only it only depends. If um, if you want to extend your tchum and the other person did not extend the tchum, when you extend your tchum in one direction, you, you forfeit the, the equal amount in the other direction. So if you decide to extend your tchum a certain amount, let's say the 1,000 amma mark, you decided to extend your tchum, excuse me, which means you forfeit 1,000 ammas to, let's say you went east, you forfeit 1,000 ammas to the west. But the other person didn't, didn't want to extend the tchum, which means you only overlap over 2,000 amas to the west, right? That person can walk 2,000 amas, even though you can walk three, but you only overlap two. That's all you can take this food to. That's the only nafkarina halacha, if that negeya halacha maisa to you. Mishnah, talking about chum hagachelis. If you have coal and you want to carry coal, you only carry the distance of the owner of the coal, which is obvious. But we shall have us. If you want to carry a flame, the if you want to carry a flame, what do you mean? If I go to your in your candle or take a, in the olden days, if you had a cigarette and you would light up a cigarette from somebody's match, you don't have to follow the tchum of the person. All you took from them is the flame. So you can take it and go wherever your tchum takes you to. Um, another difference between a coal and a flame, a coal that belongs to Hegdish, you're not going to have any personal benefit from Hegdish. If you use it for your own personal use, you're stealing from Hegdish and you have to bring a carbon mi'ila, and so on. But Shalhevis, if he took a bar or took a flame from Hegdish, the rabbis said um, that we don't want you to have any benefit. But if you did, you, you did not transgress from the Torah. So the rabbis said you shouldn't benefit, but that's it. Flame like a candle or something like that. What's I, a flame? Just gave you an example. A flame is like a cigarette. You go over to somebody's candle and you take the fire from the candle and you put it onto your cigarette or you take a candle and you go to someone else's candle and you take the fire because you lit your candle when you lit your own candle what did you take from the other candle only the fire that's called a shalhevis a flame so the flame has no mammosh there's nothing tangible there there's nothing really that you um, substantial there and therefore we say that by the flame the um, you don't have to follow the original owner because you didn't take anything from that person the, when it comes to the base of Migdash, if you take a flame from the terrorist perspective, you're not stealing. And, um, and the third case is, if on Shabbos you carry out a piece of coal on Shabbos, then obviously you're for carrying. But Shalhevis, if all you did was you took a flame, potter. So how exactly on Shabbos you took only a flame, we'll soon see. Without carrying. Talk about me learned. In fact, there are five examples of differences between a coal and a flame. 
Some of them, three of them are in the Mishnah and two others. Hagacheles kedagled by first of all regarding Tchum the coal you follow the original owner his the, that person Tchum but Chalheves bechol mak when it comes to the flame it you can carry it any direction you want to go as long as in your own Tchum you don't have to worry about the original where the flame came from number two Gacheles shall hegdish a coal from hegdish moyli ba if you if you use it for your own personal benefit you're stealing from the base of migdash but Chalheves loyneni lemoyli when it comes to the flame you shouldn't Rabbanon said don't have any benefit but if you did you didn't transgress from the Torah. Number three, if you took a coal from Avodah Zorah, the Pasuk says you now have anything to do in your possession that has anything to do with idols. If you took coal from Avodah Zorah, it is forbidden. But but a flame is permitted, even though it's from Avodah Zorah, because there's nothing substantial in it. There's nothing here. There's no mamoshes in it. Nothing of substance. Number four, which we have in our mission. You take out a coal in the public place, you carry it on Shabbos. But Shalhevis, if you took a flame, butter, because you didn't take anything of substance. Number five. Why do you say the flame is not a substance? The flame is important. The flame is a fire. Substance has nothing to do with importance or not importance. It's nothing to do with anything tangible. Fire is not tangible. And therefore... Why is tumult tangible? Sorry? Why, why is tumor tangible? In what way is tumor? What, what do you mean? It, it, there's no real substance in tumor. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a state. It's a state. Your hands are right. State. Tumor is a state. Paul, your hands are right. And therefore, what? What's your question? I don't know if there was any question. I, I just, <laughs> Are I you just, making statements? I'm wondering. Well, I'm just, I'm just wondering why a flame is. is I'll explain to you. The flame tumor. Is no Okay, Tuma is a spiritual concept. There's nothing physical about Tuma. And Tuma, when you if, if you're carrying out a Tumadika piece of meat, it's irrelevant. The, the Tuma has no bearing on the fact that you're carrying it on Shabbos, not carrying on Shabbos. Tuma has a different set of rules altogether. And we've le learned that it has to be a certain dimension, the size of an egg, and, and all that kind of stuff. We're now talking about on Shabbos. If you remember when we learned in Shabbos, Hamatsnia, Perikamatsnia, there it talks about. Every single thing that you carry in Shabbos has to be of substance. So if you carry food out, it has to be a kazais. If you carry this out, it has to be that something can feed a goat. Remember, everything has to be a certain quantity. If it's less than that quantity, even though you carry it on Shabbos, from the terrorist perspective, it's not called carrying because it has no share. Okay, so that's what we mean okay, by but, fire. But, you know, a, fire flame, is a flame taken from a Hindu temple, to so, me, is there's something wrong with it? It's not just there's nothing there. There's nothing wrong with going in there and taking a light out of their candle. But it's Paul, you're, you're introducing the concept of tumor and tara again, or or rather, kedusha, kedusha. What Rebbe I believe, is saying to you, fire in it's a physical uh, existence. It's a combination of gases and so on. But you can take as many, you can light as many candles as you want from one candle. You're not going to detract from the original candle. Because it's not a tangible substance. It's not something which which can be measured so so easily. Or, or uh, I mean, I, I'm sure they have systems for measuring bushfires and so on like that. But uh, but you, you can carry a flame. It's not a tangible substance. You can pass that flame on to millions and millions of other little candles, and it won't detract from yours. Why on Shabbos? I, not on Shabbos. I understand. I understand. All that. it's, it's nothing to do with the tumor and the tara aspect. That's, that's you know that if, if we want to use a metaphor for something spiritual, we use a metaphor of fire, because fire is not really physical. Even though you can see it and you put your finger, you burn your finger, but you can't. It's not a physical object that has dimensions. It is not a physical, tangible thing. And in fact, there's a whole discussion in philosophy what the definition of life is. And, and interesting because most, most things that you think of straight away come to your mind, what the definition of life is, a, fire, a, life, a living thing has to breathe, a living thing has to eat. All of these things, they say fire then is a living thing because fire does all that. And in fact, the only definition that we come up for life that differentiates a person from fire is procreate, that we procreate and fire doesn't. Otherwise, everything else about it is fire is the same thing, but fire itself is nothing in itself, it just does all these other things. But anyway, getting back to Shabbos. Shabbos, we only only chayv if you're carrying a physical thing. It's not physical. Nothing there. Okay. Difference number five. So what do you do, with the, what do you do with the fire on Shabbos? 
You're not supposed to handle it. What, what are you doing about, with it? What are we doing with it? You took, uh, if you carry a call on a Shabbos, what are you doing with it? It's forbidden. You're awesome out there and you're going to get skilled if somebody saw you. But if somebody saw you taking a fire, we'll soon see how you took a fire without anything else carrying in your hand. But if you took fire out on Shabbos, you won't be punished because you didn't carry anything. So how do you take fire without carrying anything? We'll soon discuss. And we'll come back to Avodah Zorah as well, Paul. So says the Gemara, difference number five. Number five is, uh, we're just lost. Hamudah Anlaam Mechavayda. If somebody says, I don't have any benefit from you, I hate you with a passion, I don't have anything to do with you, I don't have any benefit from you. Also, I cannot go and take coal from you because I'm benefiting from you. But I can take a flame, I can go light my candle from your candle because I didn't take anything from you. Fire is not considered a thing. Now the one has the first question. So very interesting. When it came to Hegdish, we says that even though fire is nothing, but the rabbis don't want you to take fire from Hegdish. And yet when it came to Avodah Zorah, there's no prohibition from the rabbis taking the fire. Like you just gave an example, Paul. So how come? Why is it when it comes to the fire of Avodah Zorah, the rabbis permitted it? Why is it when it comes to Hegdish, the rabbi says, no, no, we don't want you to take any fire from Hegdish. What's the difference? which people generally find the repugnant, and people therefore have nothing to do with Avodah And as a result of that, there was no reason to decree, we don't want you to take the flame because next time you're going to take a coal. People don't generally use products of Avodah But Hegdish, the must, even though people generally keep separate from Hegdish, but because it's awesome, but not because you find it repugnant in any way, the Lebedili in Shemineh. So therefore, they're not so separated from it as to the extent of Avodah Zarah. If we allow them to take the flame of Hegdish, next time they might take the coal. Gozer be Rabbana, Rabbana, therefore, interdicted against season. Um, what do you call it? Even using the fire. Uh, the, uh, the flame when, you, when you see in the Gemara that they're saying Gozer be Rabbana, and you say the Rabbana made a Gezeira, the Gemara often doesn't really say who, who made this Gezeira, when did it happen? Whenever, it, whenever we, any each of the Rabbanon is called a Gzeda, there's two kinds of Rabbanon. There's a Gzeda Rabbanon, there's a Takanas Rabbanon. You remember that we learned not so long ago that we follow Rab Meir when it comes to his Gzeras, but not when it comes to his Takanas. Gzeda means whenever the rabbi said, don't do something, because if you do this, you might end up doing something else which is wrong, that's called a Whenever the Rabbanon came along and made a new law, we want you to like Hanukkah. We want you to do this. That's not a That's a mitzvah derabbanon or takana derabbanon. This here is a We don't want you to take the flame because if you take the flame, next time you will take the coal. That comes under the category of gzera. So that's the wording here. But every gzera is the same thing. But my question is, when you say it's the Gemara says gzera by rabbanon, who? That just says rabbanon. When did this happen? That we do we don't know. We never know. It's just sort of like... Usually we say it's from the times of Moshe Rabbein. Unless we know otherwise. Well, all the Rabbanas started from Moshe Rabbein, unless we know specifically otherwise. But you do know. We have these, you know, Xeras that they put into place because they realized, that we don't know exact era, but we realized, you know, they're getting too close with the Goyim, so we had to put some Xeras to make a, a demarcation. But otherwise, we don't have that we assume it started from the beginning of time. Next, you carry out a call in a public place, Chayiv on Shabbos, but Shalhevi carry out a fire potter. Says the Gemara, first of all, Tanya, we did learn in Ebraise, Hamaiti Shalhevi's culture. Chayiv says clearly, if you carry out a flame, no matter how minute it is, you are Chayiv, you are Chayiv. So, what are you telling me that if you carry a flame on Shabbos, you are potter? It says in the Ebraise, clearly, you're liable. They were just talking about going Shaitzi there is talking about you took it out with kind of a splinter. You took out a little piece of wood that, that was burning with the fire on it. And therefore, um, that's why you hide, because it's, it's a bit more substantial. Says the Gemara, the tape. And we're talking about that you're carrying only the flame, no piece of wood. And that's why you're potted, because the flame has no substance. Says the Gemara, if you're, obvious, if you're carrying a piece of wood that was burning, forget about the flame. You're liable because you carried the piece of wood. What do you have to tell me you're liable because he carried the flame? The table should kiss him. If you're telling me that the flame means you had a piece of wood that was burning, then that's why you're high on Shabbos for carrying the wood. 
says the Gemara, but the last lay shiur, it was a tiny little uh, toothpick, it was a tiny little piece of wood that was burning, uh, or a match. And therefore, as far as the wood is concerned, you're not liable, but you're liable because the fire is with the wood. But now we learned, you have, there is a limit, a minimum. You have, when are you liable for carrying wood and Shabbos if you took out enough wood that you can go ahead and cook a, an egg readily? You have to have a, a bit more substantial than just a match. And therefore, as far as the wood is concerned, you're not chayiv. But if you have the wood with the fire together, you become chayiv. But the, our Mishnah that says for the fire, you're exempt, is talking about when there's no wood. How in the world did you carry the fire there's no wood? We'll come back to see. That's one answer. Abai gives another example. Kiglain, for example, the shai for mon and moshcha. You took a pot and on the outside you, you smeared it with oil. And then you, lit, uh, then you lit a fire on the outside of the vessel. And you carried the vessel across. So then you are liable. Again, the Gemara asks, So why are you telling me you're liable because you had a fire? You're liable because you carried a vessel across into the street. Says so, we're talking about the chaspa, clay shard, wasn't really a vessel. And says so, so what? The tape through chaspa, and you're allowed to carry a clay shard outside. You're also liable for Shabbos. Forget the flame. Says so, but the less clay shard also needs to have a certain minimum amount. It was less than that amount. So as far as how much clay do you have to carry enough that you can fill their holes if you have slats by a window and there's some gaps and you want to fill it so that it has to be. A certain amount. So we're talking about a case it was less than that amount. So as far as the, the shard is concerned, you're not liable. But if it was burning, then you are liable because you had it together with the shard. But if you just had the fire on its own, then you're not liable on shots. And we'll come back to that, how that's possible. Uh, that's a simple question. You're telling me that if you carry the fire with something, then you're always liable. So what Amisha says, Hamaiti shall have as part if you carried a flame on Shabbos, only the flame. How do you carry a flame without something, without, you know, a claim needs something combustible to hold on to? We're talking about here, you have a, like a bellow, and you're standing, you have a fire in your courtyard burning near the fence, and you stand there with these bellows, and you blow the fire outside of your courtyard, and it jumps into the street. The fire itself jumps into the street. So you would think you'd be liable. And the Mishnah says you're not because fire is not of substance. That's what we're talking about. Mishnah. What about a boy? What about if you have, let's say, a well? Shel yachid. If the well belongs to an individual person, then when it, if somebody draws water from there, what's the tchum? How far can they take the water? Then they can only take it, the owner of the well, whatever, wherever they can walk to on this yamtiv, that's how far you can walk. What about a well that is you know, a, a communal well for everybody in the town? Then basically everybody in the town is able to walk 2,000 amas in all directions. That's how you can walk as well. There's a big discussion in, in the Mepharshim of what happens if one of the people of that town decided to make themselves a tchum, to extend on the west side, which means that this person cannot even walk one amma on, on the east side. Does that affect the rest of the town, or do we say that it, that he, you know, he's nullified? Whatever he did, it doesn't count. Then the last thing is the shaloyle bubble. We learned already before, and we learned other places that they made a special uh, people made the trek to Yerushalayim to make it easy for them. We had this narrative. They made these pits along the way, these wells along the way, for the public, so that they can um, go there with their animals, drink there, and so on and so forth. So the people who went there on Yom Tov and drew water. Whose tchum were they able to walk? Is keragle hamemalei. According to our Mishnah, whoever took a bucket and filled it up with water, that's the that that person's tchum is the distance that they can walk. And why is that? Because no one owns that water. That water belongs to no one. It belongs to everyone. So we'll see. It belongs to no one. So when you lifted the water in the bucket, you were, you acquired it by Kenyan hakba. Lifting is one of the forms of acquisition. And you just made it yours. And if you now turn around and lend the word to somebody else, that person is bound by your tchum because you made it yours. And um, and and um, what is it called? And the does reason why it becomes it yours is because does we say. So does that work you in the same? If he gives it to him, not lends it to him. Yeah, exactly. What I'm talking about. If you lend it to him afterwards, now you bound. give it to him. You say, "Don't give it back to me. I don't want it back." 
doesn't matter. The water for you. It doesn't matter. Why does it matter? Even though we learned before that Tchum is established in the beginning of Yom Tov. And this is right the Yom Tov in the daytime. So how do I establish the Tchum then? Because we say, we apply the principle of Yesh Breira. Because the, 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 the Chachamim said that everybody can use the water from the well, so whose water will it be? So we say, whoever draws water, this yamta from that well, then retroactively or retrospectively, it belonged to that person as if it was that person's before yamta. So that person who drew the water, it became his water and he established it home and he gives it to anybody else as a gift as a loan makes no difference. They are all bound by this person's home. That's the mission. Says if you have a boy or well that belongs to an individual, you have to follow that individual. But Aminu, so let me ask you a question. It says, if you have rivers that are flowing and, and wells and springs that are flowing, because they don't have any particular place when Yom Tov began, it wasn't still, it was flowing the whole time. So therefore, that, that um, it does, there's no particular, uh, even if there's an owner, it doesn't mean anything because the water keeps on flowing, new water comes in and water goes out. So therefore, um, every single person who takes it, whatever they, they go, they can, can follow that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. So as Khair Al-Mishnah said that when it comes to a well, we follow the owner. And there it seems to say when it comes to a well, there's water coming all the time. It doesn't really follow the owner at all. Our mission is talking about a well with still water. We're not talking about a spring that's constantly flowing. You're right. If it's constantly flowing, then it's not the owner who determines the tchum. Our mission is talking about when the well is still water or still in one place, and it's not really flowing, and therefore the owner is the one who establishes the tchum for that particular well on that yamin. The water is gathered in still one place. The Mishnah continued, the Shalaylib bubble, those who went to those the wells that were provided for the people who were traveling from bubble to Israel, is Kiragle Hamemale. We go after the one who fills it, whoever filled it up, that's the one who belongs to it. Itma we learned an interesting argument. In the Yeshivish world, the next piece of Gemara is very uh, especially the end of it, is discussed a lot. Tell us and all that. Itma we learned. Mile Vinasan the what happens, let's say Reuven and Shimon. So Reuven fills up a bucket of water from this well that was made for the public, for those traveling to Yerushalayim, and Vinasan Chaveri, and he did it on behalf of his friend. He did it on his friend. <clears throat> he didn't fill it for himself. He, when he drew the water from the, the well, he had in mind for Shimon. That was what he had in mind. Uh, because we just said in the missionary, if he drew it for himself, then he establishes the tchum, and then if he gives somebody else, that person is bound by him. We're talking about he, he took it and he had in mind the other person. Had, Reuben took water from the well, had in mind Shimon. Rav Nachman says, in this instance, in this instance, he says, well, since you're Reuben, you did it on behalf of Shimon, then whatever tchum Shimon can walk, that's how, that's what the, that's, that's the law regarding this water as well. Rav Sheish says, no. Even though Reuben, when he drew the water, he had in mind Shimon, he's still bound by the tchum of Reuben. Now, we need to understand the logic of that. Why should that be the case? Says the Gemara, what's going on here? What's the, what's the, what's the crux of the argument? There's one opinion here that says, an interesting discussion, which the Acharenim talk about, which is, comes really from here. When we have a public place, how do we understand a public, uh, public use, or let's say a, a public uh, street? Does it mean it belongs to no one, or does it mean it belongs to everyone? How do we understand the concept of a shusarab? Belongs to no one or belongs to everyone? So we're going to have that same argument when it comes to this well, and the rabbi said these are public wells, that everybody has the right to use this, these wells for themselves, for animals. So what do they say? That these, the water in these wells belong to no one until you actually take it and, and make it yours? Or they're saying it belongs to everyone. Every single person in the world has a right to use this water. Which one is it? So Mar Sabar, one view is that Beira Dehefkeru. One view is that Beira belongs to no one. And why is that important? Because we'll, we'll have a Gemara Ba Metzi and the an interesting discussion and the feud. Hamagbiya Metziya Lechaveira. Kona Chaveira Lech Kona Chaveira. this. I found, I see a lost object on the ground. And, and, when I, and I pick it up, I think to myself, you know what? 
I really like this person here. I'm picking this up on behalf of that other person, right? I'm doing a wonderful thing. And we have a general rule that if I do a nice thing for somebody else, even though they're not aware of it, they're automatically acquired. I can be on your behalf, even though you weren't aware of it. That's the rule. But when it comes to Magbiya Metzila Chaveray, there's an argument, there's an argument, maybe like Kana Chaveray. Why is that? Because we have another argument. For example, a lender owns, owes money to a lot of people. And one of my friends is one of the borrowers, and I know that this guy owes you know, $100 to this person, $100 to that person, he owes a whole bunch of people. And I heard that this guy is about to go bankrupt. And I'm walking by his house. So I go to the house and I grab something worth $100 on behalf of my friend, who's one of the borrowers, one of the lenders who's entitled to the money. I'm doing a good thing. And the din is, if I grab a hold of this guy's money to one of the lenders, but on the one hand, I'm doing a good thing. I'm helping out my friend. But at the same time, I am adversely affecting all these other lenders who just lost out an opportunity to get this $100, especially this guy's about to go bankrupt. You know, they might never get paid. So I'm hurting other people. If I'm hurting other people, even though it's a schus for one person, it's a chayv for others. Then according to the Rav Nachman, others, we say, the same thing with an object. When I find an object, the whole world is able to get a hold of this object. But the moment that I take it, they can no longer get it. And if I'm picking it up on behalf of my friend, I'm doing a good thing for my friend, it's chus, but I'm doing a chay for the rest of the world because they no longer have access to this object. So if you hold that if you hold that if I'm grabbing something for my friend, if I'm hurting, impacting others, then it does not work also for Metziah. So therefore, Rav Sheshe says, this buyer is Hefker. And because this buyer is Hefker, if I pick up the water and I have, uh, if I have uh, someone else in mind, I cannot be kinder for that person because I'm hurting all these other people, the rest of the world who cannot take this water anymore. And therefore that person is not kinder. That person is not kinder. And so therefore, whose chum do you follow? You follow chum of the Mamali. <clears throat> That's what Rav Sheshe says. And Nachman says, no. That a boyer is beta the shut um of a I hold that not that it belongs to no one, I hold that it belongs to everyone. Every Jew has a right to this water. So when I too drew the water and I had in mind Shimon, I'm giving Shimon his water. I'm not taking from anybody else away. Shimon also has a right to this water. And therefore, I am, and since I'm doing it on behalf of Shimon, so therefore I'm taking his water. I'm not just finding a lost object that belongs to no one, therefore I'm impacting everyone else. I'm giving Shimon his rightful water, so there's no problem. So that's how we explain their argument. have a question. You say that what? That we follow. The, the person that we, Abnachman um, says you go after the person that, 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 you, that received the water, you know, Shimon at the end. And the reason is because it's considered a partnership. So let me ask you a question. It says, I didn't know guy says, Ruben says to Shimon, I don't want you to have any benefit from any of my things. Hamud Rasa, the Shimon can no longer have any benefit from my things. If I say to Shimon, I hate you, I don't want to see you, I don't have anything to do with you, I don't have any benefit from you. And the the one who made the vow, he cannot benefit from Shimon. Ruben cannot benefit from Shimon. What happens? He says, Hareini Olecho Ba'ato Olai. I am also to you. I don't want you, Shimon, to take anything from me, and I don't want to take anything from you. They were both prohibited to each other. But, and yet, both of us are able to go to the oily bubble, and we're allowed to go to the oily bubble and the wells that are meant for the oily bubble, and we can take from the oily bubble. Why? Because it below, it doesn't. If, if you had a share in it, then I couldn't take the water from the well because I said I made a promise, a vow that I will have nothing to do with anything that belongs to you, and neither can you take water because I said I don't want you to benefit from me. The fact that we allow you to take water, draw water from this well of a bubble proves that it belongs to no one. And therefore, I'm not taking your water. You're not taking my water. And that's going to be the most question of Nachman. You don't Nachman say that a oil bubble belongs to everybody. No, it belongs to no one. And then the the branch continues. Um, um, yeah, but if there's a well in the middle of the city, 
that belongs to the people in the city, then that belongs to everybody in the city. And if I drink from that water, I'm taking some of your water. I'm not allowed to do that. And you cannot take the water because it takes some of mine. Now, the, then it spells out, what's, what, what do we consider uh, things that belong to these members? Anything to do with the, the Temple Mount or Azores, anything there in the chambers or in the Azores, these are called and they belong to no one. Therefore, everyone has a right to be there. And a well in the middle of the road. These belong to no one. So therefore, even though we hate each other, we made a vow, we both can drink water from that well because it belongs to not neither one of us. But the Elu Hangel what's considered things of that city? Archive, a street, Basakness, a shul, a base America, and a bathhouse. There it belongs to both of us, so we both cannot use it. So our question is very simple. The Yamid Beta should be if you can tell me that an oily bubble is what is really a partnership, that's your whole word as a partnership, that's why I can take water and have your mind. And my mutter is how in the world is it that we both can take water from this well? Aren't we drinking some of each other's water? But Tanan, we learned clearly how Shutfin Shinodru and Nazem is the two partners who made a vow not to have benefits from each other. If we have a court, a yard that we both share, neither of us can walk in because I might be walking a part of your section. And we can't walk in. Says the Gemara, we cut us twice. So if the person wants to bathe in the bird, you're right. We cannot bathe in that bird because you're using the entire well, and part of the well belongs to the other person. You cannot do that. But on the Hachmas, you know what we're talking about over here? We're talking about over here about this well. All I'm talking about is taking a bucket and taking out some of the water. And and um, and therefore, why are you allowed to take out the water? The truth be told, the well belongs to both of us and every Jew in the world. So the question is, how come I could drink from the water? Because we'll say, yes, Brera. There's so much water there besides for me and you and so many other people. So the well of water, the, the bucket of water that I drew, all along it was mine and you're not part of it. When it comes to swimming in the well, I'm using all the water in that well. So therefore it's forbidden. When it comes to drawing water for a drink, I'm only taking one bucket out of who knows how many buckets of water there is there. So we're going to apply the rule of the Eshbrera and say that whatever water ended up in my bucket is mine. There's nothing of yours there. And that's why you're allowed to. <laughs> that's what he answers. Says the Gemara, says when Reuven draws water, he's taking his own water. And when Shimon draws water, he's taking his own because we apply the principle of Yesh Brera, even though the bar belongs to everybody, we're going to say Yesh Brera, you end up with your own water. But um, so, therefore, when it comes to Yantif, when Reuven picks up water and has in mind Shimon, since Shimon owns some of the water there, and I had in mind Shimon, I'm a, I, I have the right. To take the water and have the shimon in mind, it's giving him his water, and that's why the tchum is bound up with shimon. Says Gemara. So your whole answer here is that Abnachman follows the principle of brera. And we there's res, uh, retrospectivity, and we're going to say that whatever water you drew, that's the water that always belonged to you. Says Gemara. That principle we learned before already. The big argument if you say yes brera and brera. Says the Gemara. You're going to tell me the savor of Nachman yet Nachman is brera. You tell Nachman believes in brera, but Tanan. We learned, and the rule is as follows. Remember, we had before in the Murray of Yechel about two brothers who divided an estate. If they're considered Yarshin, each one ended up whatever belonged to them, or we say they're Lukuchas, which means we don't know if you ended up with the share of the property that really belonged to you. So it's like you swapped with each other, and every 50 years, every year, you have to uh, re, um, reassess or redistribute. We also learned in Marshkalim that um, you have to give a machtis a shekel. And if you want to go to uh, and, and change over your shekel or machzah shekel, you have to be a bit generous and pay a little bit more, a cowboy. Because remember, in those days, it was, it was actually real silver and you, it was very hard to cut it exactly in half. And there were some shavings. So you had to be a bit more generous, give a bit more than half. If you give a little extra, a cowboy. And the Chachamah therefore said that if two people decided to save themselves a little money, so they say, you know what, let's give a shekel between the two of us. We don't want that to happen. So we say, you know what? They both have to add a cowboy. You don't gain anything, except if a father uh, in the Yerusha um, um, gives um, and from the state, they take a, a, a shekel and they pay that because really it belongs to both of them, not two strangers, you know, decided to share and to avoid, you know, circumnavigate the system, circumvent the system. That's what it is. They both own everything. So then you don't have to give a cowboy. That's number one. Number two is 
We have a rule, we'll come back to that in a minute. We have a rule called Maise Behem. Every 10th animal you strike with a red paint and then you give it away. So when it comes to, um, to Maise Behem, the rule is that if there are two partners, you're exempt from Maise Behem. So, says the, so partners have to give that cowboy, two partners who own a shekel have to give that extra. But if two partners own a behemoth, they don't have to give mice. So says the Gemara, there's <clears throat> a difference if two brothers did not yet divide the estate and they do things together as partners. We don't treat them as partners. We treat them as both working with their father's estate. So there's one estate here. But if they divided and then they decided to pool their resources and become partners, then they're no different than two strangers becoming partners. So they said like this. But now, the Mishnah, brothers who are partners, what kind of partners are they? So if the rule is that they have to pay the Kalban, which means that they divided the estate and now they decided to pool their, their assets together and they're going to do things together. So they're like two other partners. So then you have to pay that extra Kalban. When you give a shekel, you have to pay that extra. But they're exempt from, um, from the 10th animal have to give Maise because they're partners. But if the kind of partners they are is we don't really view them as partners because they never divided the estate. They're still, you know, the state is still there. They both work together, but never divided it. So they're not really partners. So they have to give then they're exempt from the Kalbun because it's not two people coming together. It's one, it's coming from one estate. continues. When do we say that they're considered as if they're one working, you know, they're, they're, that they're not really strangers as partners, but they're just still working in the father's estate? I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you. Sorry? There's two ways of dividing the estate. One is, I'll say to you, you know, you take all the goats and I'll take all the sheep. Another way is there are 10 goats, 10 sheep. You take five goats, I'll take five goats. You take five sheep, I'll take five sheep. So Rabbi Onan said, there's a big difference in how they divided the state to see whether we treat them as just two strangers or partners or whether they're still one. And he says as follows. If they, if they divided uh, goats and you take the goats and I'll take all the sheep, definitely I'm entitled to half the goats. But we just, to make it easier, we decided to make this kind of a swap. You take the goats and I take the sheep. That's like, that's like a business arrangement. So therefore, they did like they, they, they as if they divided the entire estate. And now when they come back together and pool their assets, they're just two partners and have a din of shutf, not of brothers, but shutf. So if so therefore, and I'm I'm really entitled to half of the goats, but I'm giving you all the goats and you give me all the sheep. Okay. Then we're saying it's like a swap. If I say you take half the goats and I'll take half, and you take half the sheep and I take half the sheep, then that is really the Yerusha. It's not really a part. We're still Yerusha. We're still, you know, the father's estate. All along, this is, I was entitled to that. You were entitled to that. It's not like buyers. We are, um, those will say, yes, but this was always mine and that was always yours. And therefore, it's like one. But Rabbi Nachman says, even if you split the goats, or how do I know that I ended up with the five goats that really belong to me? Maybe I ended up with your five goats, because I don't believe in Breira. I don't say that these goats were always mine. So therefore we see clearly, Rabbi Nachman does not believe in Breira. So if Nachman does not believe in Breira, and we say, how can then, in, in, if I'm not going to believe in Breda, then what do we do about the case of the oil bubble? Why is it that we both we both made a net that we're not going to enjoy each other, yet we both can draw water from that well? Must be, the only possible explanation is that the well belongs to neither of us. The water belongs to no one. So if the water belongs to no one, we go back to our original question. So how come if I pick up, if I pick up the water and I have in mind the other person, we say that you follow the other person isn't the rule that if you're doing something good for somebody, but you're impacting negatively to the rest of the world who also have access to this and you took it away from them, that ability, it's not Zoycha. So how come you say that, that Shimon, you have to follow Shimon's Tchum? So the Gemara says as follows. Elahocha, we're talking, uh, sorry. Ella, the Kuli Alma, everyone agrees, Beta, Dev, Kedi, Ravsheshes, Anachman, Everyone agrees that the boy belongs to no one. But so we understand our sheshes. 
because it belong, uh, belongs to no one and he cannot impact others negatively. So therefore, when I drew the water, even though I had Shimon in mind, Shimon wasn't kind of, who does it end up with? With uh, Reuben, the one who drew the water, he followed his chum. But what's the logic of Nachman? So we're looking at the way Rashi means. Elohocha, we're talking about the Makbiya Metziya Lechaveda Kamifugi. We're talking about, we all agree that I picked up a, 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 a Metziya because it belongs to no one. So the water in that boy belongs to no one, like an object, that's Hefker. And we don't follow Rabbi Yechel Ben-Nuri, who said a few days ago that Hefker has its own chum. But Mar Sova Kona Mar Sova So Rashi learns as follows. Rashi learns that, okay, I, everyone agrees. When I drew that water, Reuben drew the water because it belongs to no one. And I had in mind Shimon, I'm impacting negatively on the rest of the world. So Shimon definitely is not Kainan, right? not Kainan. But is Reuben Kainan? And what happened was Reuben drew the water and then he physically gave it over to Shimon. Was Reuben Kainan the water or not? Rav Sheja says that Reuben was Kainan the water. And Reuben was Kainan the water. Were, as soon as Reuben was Kainan the water, it, we follow the Tchum of Reuben. And then Reuben gave it to Shimon five minutes later. Shimon is not bound by Reuben's tchum. But Nachman says that I agree with you that, that when Reuben picked up the water, Shimon wasn't kind of. But neither was Reuben. And therefore, when Reuben then gave the water to Shimon, Shimon now became the rightful owner. So whose tchum do we follow? Shimon's. That's what Rashi says. If Tzayzah Chayshin explains what's the logic behind this, the logic goes as follows. When I... When I, let's say, pick up a wallet of $100 a minute, and I think, oh, this person deserves it, Shimon deserves it, and I have Shimon in mind. How do we understand, why does it belong to Shimon? There's two ways of understanding it. One way is that Shimon acquires it through me. I'm the, the in-between. I'm the one who physically picked it up. So it became mine, but as soon as it became mine, it straight away moved over to Shimon, because I had in mind Shimon. So it happened bevasacha straight away. So it went through me to Shimon. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is, I had in mind Shimon, that means it, it does not go through me. When I picked it up, it went straight to Shimon, not via me, but passed me by. And that's the machlek is here between Amnach and Rav Ravshesha says, when you picked it up and you had Shimon in mind, how would it have become Shimon's? First it became mine, then it became Shimon. So what happened, I picked it up, it became mine. But there's something blocking that doesn't allow it to go from me to Shimon because I'm impacting negatively on everybody else. So where does it remain? It remains with Reuven. So now it becomes Reuven's water and, and, and therefore that he establishes a tchum. And then after he gives a Shimon, too bad Shimon, you have to follow Reuven's tchum. But according to um, <clears throat> the, when I picked up the water and I had Shimon in mind, it never became Reuven's, never became, how would it meant to become Shimon's? Directly. Novos, the law is that Shimon wasn't kind So I can still change my mind until I give it to Shimon. But once I gave it to Shimon, who is the owner of this water now? Mm -hmm. Shimon, I never became the owner of this water because it doesn't go, it never went through me. I never had a mind to be mine. It never went through me. When I picked up the water, I intended to give it to Shimon. So, okay, Shimon wasn't kind yet because it's impacting negatively on others. But when I gave it to him physically in his hand and he lifted it, that it became Shimon's. And now, who establishes the Tchum? Shimon does. So that's the crux of the argument. I hope you all follow. It's a bit complicated. But that's how Rashi learns the Gemara. There's other ways learning the Gemara, but that's how Rashi learns the Gemara, and that's how the Ktsais and others explain Shittas Rashi. Uh -huh. Okay. Good way of starting the week. So, 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 so just, so just to clarify on that remodel, yeah. so the, the mechanism by which the uh, person A picks up having in mind person B and it and it, and it automatically becomes person B's. I, 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 that's understandable because there's a principle of shluchai shalotam kamoisa. Right. But but what's the principle that 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 doesn't allow me that, that, that doesn't include me and I've picked it up as as though I'm person B. If I if I give you a shlichus to do something, to give tzedakah, then who gave the tzedakah? Then you the, do. The sender, not the shlich. That's right. Even though the shlich physically did it, shlich gets nothing for it. It's the sender. Right. Good. So if you learn that tzchia is metam shlichus, as you know, there's a big argument. What's the logic 
behind schus. Okay, now we're going to go a step further. What's the logic behind the idea that if I, if I have you in mind, and you have, you're totally not aware of it, but I had in mind that this $100 become yours, it becomes yours, and if I change my mind five minutes later, it's fafam. I can't change my mind. What's the logic behind that? You never appointed me. You had no idea. So one Rashi holds in, in Bob Metzida, if you're that's chia mitam shlichus. Anan Sadi, we are sure that this person had he known that there's a hundred dollars lying there and and you're happy to give it to him, he would have appointed you as a shlich. That's one way of learning. The other way of learning is like Taisus learns in Kedushin of Mbeis, and that is there's a pasik that teaches us Zochin Nothing to do with shlichus. It's just a law that says Zochin that you can acquire things on behalf of somebody else. If you learn that it's zochin la'adon shleib b'fanav, it's under shlichus. So how does it work? How does it work? Obviously, the way it works is because there's no shlich. You never pointed me, and it's under shlichus. So obviously, the way it works is I can be I can buy myself something I want. So I'm zochin for myself, and then I can <laughs> give it over to you. And the Torah told us we learned from this pasuk that I can give things over to you without you even knowing about it. But if you learn that zochus is because of shlichas, then I'm not acquiring anything for myself. You made me a shlich. So when I picked it up, I acquired it for you. I'm not involved. I'm just the physical, I'm like a, I'm like your hand, an extension of your hand. That's all I am. So that's the two sides of it. How exactly how does the mechanism work? Does it go? So so, me so, so what so what you say, so, so we're using both principles of Zachin Shalavan Shlobanov and Shlichas and merging them together. To say that when I'm mezaki, you shaloi b'fanav, and even shaloi b'datoi, shaloi b'datcha, what you've done is ki'ilu, you've made me a shliach. That's right, and that is that in itself is the argument. If is it shiyim etam shlichus, then it does not go through me, bypassing me. Yeah. If you learn that shlichus is a, a, a law in the Torah that I pick it up myself and moves on. Okay, so that's sure. that's how we understand this whole thing. Sure. This is this, as you can see, that this little gemara here. Is in the yeshivisha world, it's a very uh gemara. They learn it a lot, and it's mainly in Bob Metzia, not so much people don't obey in yeshivas. So it's mainly in, in Bob Metzia, and there's a very, very interesting concept here. Yeah.